0: It's been said that all the social and political problems besetting the human race are finally reducible to one, the problem of communication. When you've said that, you've said everything, or nothing, or at least very little, because the arts and sciences of communication seem themselves to be beset by problems of communication. In fact, on this reading, we're all in the position of the worried man in the story, Even our problems have problems. The word language itself has become so ambiguous, or at least capable of so many meanings, philosophical, scientific, even even theological, that it's almost a relief to turn to the simple, if it is simple, fact, that in an age when men are on the point of landing on the moon, the smallest international gathering still needs interpreters. And so we're still stuck with the laborious business of having to learn or trying to learn languages other than the ones we've been reared to or have adapt or adopted by choice or circumstance. After which rather pompous introduction, let's plunge into our subject, which is, has to do with the delights and distresses of language learning. Let's begin then with a few general words from May McKenna who should be particularly qualified to enlighten us since she's both a teacher and a learner.
1: That's true. I teach French to adults and uh, this year I've started to learn German so I can see the problem from both sides. Um, I find as an adult uh, learning German that I am very much in admiration of adults that I've come across who have started learning language quite late in life, have uh, persevered and have Reach quite amazing results which should be an encouragement to fellow adults and also should cause the admiration of young people.
0: Do you think it's such a difficult business then?
1: I do, I think as an adult um, to devote oneself to learning, I think it is, There are so many other things one has to deal with and think about to be able to set aside part of one's mind and part of one's time uh, to an operation which is associated with one's more uh, flexible years, so to speak. Um, I also found, slightly to my amazement, that the advantage that girls seem to have over boys in the early days seems to be wiped out much later. I found that adult uh, men seem to be much better adult learners and traditionally, as you know, Sean, in this country, um, girls learned languages, boys didn't very much, so they had a lot of time to make up, but I found that when they start as adults, they seem to uh, pass the women out very rapidly.
0: That's curious. Uh, would this apply to speaking or to learning uh, to read or the whole thing?
1: The whole thing, I found, and mm. this uh, did surprise me, uh, there seems to be more determination in them to reach their goal somehow or another.
0: That's an interesting mm-hmm. comment. Um, we won't go down that <laughs> side track now. Fascinating though it is, uh, what do you think is the is the central problem of learning a language? I mean, is there one thing that you say if you get if you get yourself over that hurdle, you're 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 in.
1: Um, there's a sort of an inhibition uh, in adults. I find, um, there's a tendency to cling closely to the set of sounds that has always been theirs to their own native language and a sort of an inhibition or a self-consciousness about pronouncing words which are so different from the sounds that they've always been used to uttering all their lives. And the type of person that can get over this um, inhibition and who has possibly a streak of exhibitionism in him is the one to override this problem very quickly because it's almost like an actor playing a part, you see, he fits into a new role, he forgets uh, his former patterns of behavior, he begins to behave in a different way and uh, he can succeed very very rapidly, but the, the person who, who has difficulty in succeeding in learning a language is the one who, I say, is slightly self-conscious and has to make a great effort of adjustment uh, from his former patterns of speech and sounds to the new ones. This will slow him up. So, as I say, the exhibitionistic sort of person and also the rather brash and um, uninhibited person will rattle along and won't worry too much about making mistakes, and I think that this is perfectly all right, because if you're talking to a foreigner, and I have in mind French people very much, uh, the French are terribly impatient and they tend not to wait for the person who is choosing his words and his pronunciation too carefully, and tend to to leave him there, whereas a person who is bashing on regardless, making all sorts of mistakes, but is communicating is the one that's going to succeed.
0: This is all very interesting. Does it mean though that if you're a shy, sensitive plant, there's no point in you trying to learn no, a language? At all, sure. No, <laughs> not at all, sure,
1: uh, not at all. I mean, where would you and
0: I be? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Please. No, I, I, I don't go as far as to say that. I think possibly the shyer person uh, is more of a perfectionist, and in the long run uh, will speak a more perfect uh, version of the foreign language than the type of person I've described to you as being the one who is more
0: immediately successful. Mm. But there is this uh, this inhibition thing, as you say. Tell me, um, did you yourself find now starting German? Did you find any touch of this at all? In after all, you've you've been living with at least two sets of of sound habits, or yes? Kind of, yeah. Um, Taking up a third, what was it? Uh,
1: yes. Well, I, I I did, but I found that the the sounds are easier for us to pronounce than. Uh, the French sounds would be... I, uh, personally, I have no difficulty in pronouncing French sounds, with that I've been studying French for a very long time. Uh, but I find that uh, German should be... The, the sounds should be a bit easier, a bit nearer to our own Anglo sounds.
0: Our Anglo sounds? <laughs> well, I mean, let's face it. But language, no, but surely, I mean, yes. this is an interesting point, surely. Our, I mean, even though English is the majority language, surely the, 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 the sound pattern of English spoken in Ireland is quite different, say, from Southern English. It is quite true, but um, we have, uh, some of our versions
1: of English sounds uh, seem to me to be quite close to um, to German, and even I would say many of our Gaelic sounds, I think this is obvious when we're speaking Gaelic, a lot of our sounds uh, are quite close to, to German sounds. Um, that brings me to another thing which I think is, is, is worth mentioning here, is the value of of Irish, if if one has difficulty in uh, regarding it idealistically as our own language and the language that we must learn and we must all be uh, absolutely fluent and perfect in Irish, if one has difficulty in accepting this one could regard it in a more materialistic way as um, a good training for learning other languages and I think that seeing that Irish is the language which is compulsory in our schools, we all learn Irish, uh, we can put it to good use afterwards in learning other languages because there is Quite definitely, I would say, um, an element of transfer uh, which remains and which helps us in the mechanics, in overcoming the mechanics of language learning generally.
0: Well, it is undoubtedly true as a general rule. If you have two languages you could more easily learn a third, if you have three you can more easily learn two more, I suppose. Yes,
1: because in the third language you come across something that you noticed in your first language, and the fourth something you noticed in the third, and so on.
0: Even though the languages may not be all members of the same
2: group. No, they don't have to be at all.
1: It's just that certain structures seem to repeat themselves uh, from one language to the next, but are not in the third language. And it all falls into a sort of a pattern. And I think that the Irish regarded in this way, which I know is not exactly the way one would wish to regard it, but I think that it, it is a point that no time is wasted learning Irish.
0: A good deal of what May McKenna has said is echoed by our next witness
2: which means uh, that uh, I like to speak Russian because uh, it pleases me, and Russian is a very rich language. Well, now, that's Arthur Billoin,
0: a civil servant here in Dublin, who started to learn Russian when? About
2: ten years ago, uh, I I... Uh, I learned to read it by myself, and uh, when I had got a fair way, I took conversation lessons from Mrs. Coores, who used to live at Cullen, you'll remember. County Meath, yes. Yes, and uh, County Loud. And uh, she used to give conversation lessons to people from the Department of External Affairs, and I joined them. I took lessons from her for about four months or so, but then, unfortunately, she fell ill, uh, so I had to continue on my own then but she was a splendid teacher, she had a great intuitive sense of how you were getting on and uh, I was doing uh, really well, I thought. Uh, Afterwards I continued uh, to read it by myself, I'm very interested in the literature and have a great collection of Russian books, Russian records as well. But did you continue to take classes? Uh, Not for quite a while, but in the last couple of years Uh, I have uh, met a Russian lady here in Dublin and uh, I take conversation from her. I visit her, uh, well, every second Saturday or so on for two or three hours we converse in Russian and I find that uh, we get on very well together and uh, we discuss the literature, we discuss politics. We don't see eye to eye on that, Uh, but uh, we have... uh, Uh, widely ranging conversations, and I find that very useful to keep uh, uh, fluency in the language. I continue to read it. I get Novimir which is a a monthly literary magazine, uh, and uh, it is by far the best thing that comes out of Russia in the literary line. Uh, I also read novels, the classics and poems and poetry. I listen to records as well. I have uh, uh, that very beautiful play of Chekhov's, uh, The Three Sisters, on uh, record done by the Moscow Arts Theatre, and uh, I listen to that occasionally, and I have Gogol's splendid play, The Revizor of the Inspector General, uh, I have that on records as well, and a number of others. And I find that, uh, well, between reading and conversing and listening to the records that, uh, well, I, I, I keep my hand in well with the language. I enjoy the language very much. It, very rich, and uh, uh, it is uh, to learn it is difficult enough, but in any language uh, to learn it well you have to work hard at it. Uh, My approach was uh, I started uh, about ten years ago, and for the first six months I really slogged at it, and uh, when I got to be able to read it uh, in a fair way, I thought I'd like to learn to speak it and I can both read it easily now and speak it easily. You give me great
0: encouragement although I'm afraid my own uh, relationship with the Russian language has been rather like that of the late Mark Twain's with giving up smoking, the easiest thing in the world, I've done it 25 times you know, (laughs) and what really has been the, the the first
2: terrible hurdle for me that I've never got over has been the alphabet. Well, I've heard a number of people say that, but uh, actually the alphabet is quite simple. It takes about a week, really, and uh, that is quite true now. It it takes you just about a week to get accustomed to the alphabet, because it's merely uh, accustoming yourself to the symbols. And once you've done that, and uh, the way I accustomed myself to them at the start was, uh, I used to uh, uh, write out the words, the cat is on the mat, etc., and uh, I found that after a short while uh, the symbols presented no difficulty at all. And you began to recognize them quickly? Oh yes, Uh, very quickly in fact. In fact uh, anybody really would, uh, inside a couple of weeks, uh, get used to the symbols.
0: Well of course the Cyrillic alphabet in which uh, Russian and some of the other Eastern languages, Eastern Slavonic languages are Written is of course very close to the Greek alphabet, and did you have Greek before? No, yeah. I, no, I, I had Latin, all no, right,
2: and and uh, Latin is of a particular help in studying Russian, in that you have the six cases, you know, and the nouns the the uh, nouns, oh, and the of nouns, yes, the declensions of nouns, and yes. the nouns, and, uh, uh, the structure is quite similar to to uh, Latin. Yes, uh, a, I a, a very rich, rich verbal system, I a believe. A very rich verbal system, and. Uh, Uh, At the same time, very simple, Mm. uh, but uh, the biggest difficulty, I think, for a foreigner, particularly uh, a foreigner of middle age like myself in learning Russian, is the enormous vocabulary. Uh, It's all right for uh, words with uh, Western European uh, uh, roots, like, say, uh, most of the words now relating to literature and music. our our French derivation Oh yes, of course, because there was a
0: period at which uh, Quite,
2: and when literature was coming to its peak, as you might say in Russia, German uh, most of the scientific terms are of uh, German origin but then there are vast uh, horde of words, you could say relating to plants and flowers and nature that are Indo-European all right, but have uh, no obvious Western affiliation and uh, uh, one of the problems is to remember those, yes. as you know uh, you can remember things much more easily when you're a teenager uh, than uh, when you're my age. Th- Indeed I know this <laughs> not all too well <laughs> 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 even when you're
0: my age even worse, but artists the, the, this um, uh, in sort of working one's way through this vocabulary as you've said it's apparently not although Indo-European it's not uh obviously western european uh any other linguistic helps at all um of course in structure again i've heard it said that old irish the the verbal system of old irish is not unlike that of russian be that as it may modern irish does give you any help at all
2: well it does on the pronunciation though. you know this combination of uh, broad and slender, or oh, broad and slender consonants, yes. of the pa- um, and of also there are uh, quite a number of sounds uh, where the, uh, Munster Irish uh, mm. is uh, uh, a particular help, or at least the manner in which uh, Munster Irish is pronounced by a native speakers, say from Cork Queen. I think that uh, uh, Irish is a distinct help. That's a fascinating thought. I know, I
0: knew the thing about the broad and slender, just as in Irish you're and boy yes. and one is the plural of the other. Uh, that sort of thing goes on in, UN, in, in, in Russian. Y- yes, y- you have quite yes, a bit of that, that
2: sort of thing. Uh, did you find yourself that when you went, to you have travelled in Russia? I have, I've been uh, there twice in 1962 and 1967. Well, how did you get on? Well, the first time, reasonably well, not uh, extremely well, I would say, but the last time in 1967 I got on very well and uh, a number of people marked that my accent seemed to be good. That now that may have been politeness to uh, a foreigner, but at the same time I did succeed in having many conversations with many different people and uh, I was pleased about that myself, naturally enough. And people tried to meet you halfway, did they? Uh, yes, I found quite a distinct uh, difference. Well, you'll always find find that. Say, if you go to France, uh, the French have quite a different attitude to uh, a foreigner who doesn't speak French, and one who does. If you don't speak French, well, you're sort of déclassé. Uh, you'll notice it immediately in restaurants. Well, in Russian or English, it's rather different. They're very. Uh, Sort of apprehensive about people I think who don't speak Russian, but I found that immediately I spoke Russian or addressed people in Russian, they were warm and friendly and rather pleased. And uh, of course, I was pleased that they were in such good humor. And I had many interesting conversations with people in the streets, in pubs that I was in, in the train, and uh, in the hotel we were staying in. We were in uh, Leningrad and Moscow. So, all in all, well, of course, uh, that is, I, I would think it important to have a knowledge of the language in the country in which you're going to go oh, to. Well, I
0: think common politeness means one should do one's best anyway to get yes, a little
2: of it. But um,
0: but apart from all that, you have found it well worthwhile learning Russian.
2: I have. I find, the uh, well, I have a number of languages, but... Uh, my motivation always has been the literature and Russian literature is immensely rich it, has give, it gives me a constant pleasure I have read all the classics like Vainai Miri uh, uh, Anna Karenina and uh, the novels of uh, Dostoevsky of Turgenev of uh, uh, Goncharov of uh, uh, Chekhov and uh, uh, Bunin, Babel and people like that and uh, it is a very splendid literature, as a great poet as well. Pushkin is a very rewarding writer, a great poet, and their playwrights as well, of course. And uh, I think that, well, the literature is the life of the country, and uh, it is certainly my main interest in, in uh, Russian that the life uh, of the people is so well portrayed in their literature the biggest thing you found, the biggest difficulty you found was the vocabulary. Uh, I would say that, yes. Remembering words. Yes, yes. And, of course, that applies more uh, to a person whose approach is through literature than a person whose approach would be, say, to uh, a technical subject, like an engineer would learn uh, Russian for a precise purpose of uh, being able to converse about engineering matters with other engineers. Or if you'd learned it on the Modiroch when you were... <laughs> Quite, but when literature, we younger, as you know, spans a much wider gamut than, uh, in that it is uh, the whole of life in many ways. And uh, this, it must be fascinating. And, of course, there's this vast folk thing there, too. Which uh, it. it has a, a great folk literature, and I find that... It has a thing that I'm very interested in: uh, the number of proverbs. Oh, yes, well, first, Mr. made us so aware of that. And uh, you know, they're exactly like our Chernukle, the proverbial wisdom. And if I may give you one, and it's a very pleasant one, you know, Ahnian uh, kiro uh, 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 Well, they have uh, a very nice variant in that, and it is ribak ribaka viditis dalaka, and that means that. One fisherman recognises another at a distance.
0: Now, by way of contrast, we've two younger learners, two teenagers, in fact, who went about the business in a very different way. Lene Ageron is a French girl who's been learning English mainly over here, and Catherine O'Reardon is an Irish girl who, with very little French indeed, was thrown in at the deep end, as it were, when, at the age of 13, she went to stay with a family in France.
3: Well, for the first few days, I didn't know what to say or where I was, but nobody could speak English to me. So I decided, well, I may as well try and speak some French. So I found myself picking it up and learning a few words and a few phrases and gradually coming into the conversation and understanding a bit better anyway.
0: Now, uh, all this time, were you reading any French at all?
3: No, very little, because I had such... uh, limited knowledge of French, that I concentrated more on speaking and getting people to speak to me slowly so that I'd understand them and so that they'd help me out and reading was a bit beyond me at that stage.
0: Did you find in fact that you knew whole sentences and phrases before you'd know how to spell them out, before you could even break break them up into words?
3: Oh yes, very definitely. Spelling afterwards became a bit of a problem, (laughs) you know, because I Everything had to be the way it sounded. I was more inclined to spell it the way it sounded than the way it should be spelled.
0: Well, certainly, at least you, you, you got plunged in at the deep end, the more dearer. Um Did you have much the same experience, Leen, When or did you learn English formally before you came
4: to... Yeah, m- well, in France, I started learning English uh, at school, of course, for about uh, six years, but uh, uh, for holidays in August, uh, every year I went to England for a month but uh, just to practice my uh, English and uh, especially my accent. And I think it, I improved my English a lot, going away like that. But uh, I think the best way anyway is to come for, for a year, you know, in, uh, in the country itself.
0: Well, you, uh, you've spent a year in Ireland? Yeah,
4: I've been, I spent a year in Ireland. I've been here since uh, last September.
0: Well, what did you do? Did you go to...? And I
4: went to a school, yes, I went to a school, uh, au pair, if I can say, and I taught French and I had uh, English class, and uh, I had to pass an, uh, to do an exam too. And uh, I think it's the best way, really, I was with a lot of uh, people, and I, I practised my English all the day, you know, I didn't speak French at all, and uh, I think it's the best way.
0: Is English a hard language for a foreigner?
4: I think, especially for French people, perhaps not about according to the grammar or the words, but uh, especially for the accent. I think the the hardest things to do is to get a, a right accent, you know. And um,
0: particularly, I think the intonation of a whole sentence more than a more than a, an individual word.
4: Yes, that's right.
0: Yeah, we find this quite a lot in radio. It's quite often a problem. Somebody maybe, you know, somebody quite important or interesting might be visiting here, and we'd say, well, you know, what's his English like to put him on the radio, because that's even right. though he might pronounce individual words splendidly, yeah. his, his whole intonation might be, might make it extremely difficult yeah, to understand right. it. And right. I'm sure that you find the same way with people yeah, with are trying to talk yeah, it's exactly, yeah. it's
4: the same, and uh, it's very du- it's very hard too, because uh, people have a, a different accent, you know, in Ireland or in England. And, uh, from Dublin, or from Cork, or from London, you know, and you are completely mixed up the first time, you know, you don't understand anything.
0: One of the hardest things I always find is, you know, being able to understand what other people are saying to each other, did you find this? Interesting? Oh yes,
3: definitely. Sometimes when somebody speaks to you, I think they're more inclined to go slowly and pick and choose their words. When they speak to each other, it's like double dutch, you know, it's completely different language.
0: And I'm sure you find this too, Lee.
3: Exactly,
4: not now, but in the beginning, it's very hard, yes. and uh, Especially when they talk uh, together, you know, not uh, not talking to you, but even on the TV, on the radio, When when there is a conversation, you know, you can't to follow the conversation,
3: it's very hard.
0: Have you uh, been anywhere else than France? uh,
3: I've been uh, in Germany also. Ah. I actually prefer Germany to France.
0: You do? Yes. But do you prefer the German language to the French language?
3: Well, I don't know.
0: Did you find it easier or harder?
3: Well, I had some German going to Germany. I had Mm -hmm. done a little in school for two years. But I found that the Germans helped me more with my language, they Ah. spoke, well, the Germans are inclined to speak very articulately and clearly, so that it was easier for me to follow what they were saying and to become part of their conversation. More than in France? More than in France. The French were, I think, to my ears, speak uh, quick, more quickly. Yeah, I think it's the same,
4: Uh, even for French people, uh, when they are, you know, if you learn Italian, you know, Italian people speak very quickly, even for French people, and I think it's a Hardest things, too.
0: Did you find uh, that, that this question of accent and intonation was really
2: the
4: only problem with English? I think it's the first problem, anyway, in the beginning. After it's, if you can get a lot of vocabulary, and uh, that's all right, but the first thing's really the accent, you know, and it's a very long time before getting the right accent.
0: What was your biggest problem, would you say, Catherine?
3: Oh, being able to make myself understood. When, I, when you're lonely and you're away for the first time, you've got to say something to somebody, but when you can't say it in their language and when they can't speak your language, uh, you have to just to learn some French and try and get some meaning across to them. Now,
0: as you settled down, did you find uh, reading and dictionaries and so on helpful at all, or not?
3: Oh, reading very much. When you have a basic knowledge of French, you can improve your vocabulary. When you have learnt an accent in France, you can improve every part of your French, your grammar, your actual spoken French, because you pick up phrases and the way they say it, a French turn and everything, or a German turn, which is much better and it's much easier to get across the meaning. And
0: did you uh, find, say, in reading, that newspapers were better than books, or what sort of thing? Did you read magazines? or?
3: Well, magazines at first, because they're easy to read and often they're illustrated, but then well, a book, an interesting story, or sometimes I've read French books that I've already read in English, uh, which means that I know the story and that I'm never stuck for, even if I don't know the meaning of individual words, I always get the sense out of the books.
0: Uh, how about reading with you, name? I did
4: the same, yeah. In the beginning, you can't read a book because you don't understand anything, but after two or three months, I think it's a great help because you, you get used with the usual English, I mean, the English-speaking, uh, by everybody, you know, even the slang or even the the idioms. And um, it's a great help too when, as Catherine says, when you, you can read a book in English that uh, you have already uh, read in uh, in French. Tell me, how
0: about radio and television and f- films?
4: Yeah, it's nearly the same than books. Uh, perhaps easier in the beginning, you don't understand anything, but after you have the pictures, you know, which uh, helps course, you, yeah. It um, was television yes. and films which yes. helps you, but um, it's according to the accent also. It's uh, when, especially an uh, American picture, you know, and they have a terrible accent, and <laughs> in the beginning you can't understand. But uh, after, I think it's a one. Uh, it's a great help, like um,
3: with books.
0: Did you? I think mm-hmm.
3: television is one of the best ways for learning, yeah. because even if you're, you get tired of trying to listen to sentences and sentences of language you don't understand, mm. you soon you pick up the odd word here and there and you know what's going on, it isn't as much of a strain as trying to listen to a conversation say on the radio or something mm. Mm. which you wouldn't, if you lost thread of it, well that would mm. be the yes, end well, right. well of
0: course this is true about radio, you have no chance to look back yeah, or that's to right, check back.
3: Especially for example on the TV
4: for the news, you have news every day and you all get used, you know, with the words and the... Even the uh, advertising on the TV, you know, you get used with all the words and all the sentences.
0: So you know what they're yeah. about. You, Do you have any difficulty at all now, really?
4: Uh, I don't think now. I mean, to understand, I understand very well. And I, I think I can speak. I hope yes. I can <laughs> speak very well. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I, I should like to spend another year, you know, really to speak uh, English like uh, everybody. I mean, every English people. And, uh,
0: but uh, you would never lose completely the the touch of the French intonation, no? Uh,
4: no, I don't think I will lose it. I hope I will, but I don't think so. It's very <laughs> oh, well, I, do, I it. think
0: it's very pleasant, too. <laughs> and uh, 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 Catherine, did you find at all, with uh, once you got into the, into the swing of German, uh, did you find that knowing two languages which are quite just very different from each other, indeed, like French and German as well as English or Irish, did you find one language helped another at all?
3: Yes, I definitely think that the more language you learn, learn the better. Because before I ever started learning French, I had fluent Irish, which I learnt in the Gaeltacht, and I was at an all Irish-speaking school, and I was sort of I was used to communicating in two languages, so that when I had a third language added on, it wasn't too much of a strain of something I wasn't used to.
0: Well, that seems to be common ground among all our learners. Here now are two well-known broadcasters who set about, each of them set about learning a foreign language in a particularly intensive way by attending special intensive courses abroad. Brendan O'Hare learned German this way and John Horgan Spanish.
5: Well, I started to learn Spanish for a very specific purpose. The newspaper had decided to send me to Latin America, to Cuba to be precise, and I'd had a very depressing experience. The last time I went to a Spanish-speaking country, thinking I suppose like most people that you pick it up in two or three days, I found myself completely incommunicado, completely unable to communicate with anybody. I used even to weep tears of frustration because you weren't able to get through to people on the telephone, even though uh, I could read the language reasonably well in newspapers and so on. So um, a three-week course didn't make me into a a polyglot genius or anything but at least it helped to uh, establish this basic kind of communication without which I think you're lost when you're abroad. Well I agree because I came
6: at it in a different way completely. I went through Germany as I thought on my way to the United States and my father-in-law uh, who is a German talked me out of going to the United States and he said why not stay in Europe and learn the language, learn German and um, live here for a while and then uh, make up your mind. So in my case, I I tried first the Maudidach, the old Maudidach by going around and speaking to the farmers, but in the uh, region in which we were living in Germany, uh, they spoke a dialect, a very strong dialect. So after about three months, I decided that I had to go to an institute, in this case, the Goethe Institute, who who, uh, run um, two-month courses, four weeks at a time, and um, that's how I came at
5: it. I was just wondering, are are the courses that you did uh, completely the creation of the Goethe Institute or uh, have they borrowed them from somewhere else? In my case, uh, the centre that I went to in Mexico in fact borrowed its course from the US Foreign Service you know, for training diplomats and so on. And uh, in spite of a rather strange ideological content to the course the mechanics of it, the phrases and everything, were very, very good. You know, um, this course is completely... Uh, was
6: was designed completely by Schulz and Griesbach, who founded the Goethe Institute, and these textbooks, there are three of them, which are used all over the world, in fact, as far away as Tokyo, and they've just devised this method, and it is, in fact, unmodidig again, except under supervision, strict supervision, uh, three hours' classes in the morning, then a lunch break, and an hour, with a break of an hour, and then another hour, but you are, as well, like the uh, Irish colleges in Ireland, you are boarded with a family. Uh, in some cases, you are boarded with uh, another student, but they, in so far as possible, they try to decide that uh, you will be boarded with an Italian or a Saudi Arabian or an African or someone
5: whose language you don't share. So that you have to speak even to him? In German. In, in German, yes. All the time, yeah. So if, if you were to put your finger on the key to the method, it is the more direct, the necessity of speaking German at all times. Always, yes. Uh, it wasn't quite this way in my case. Um, we had the option of staying in a, in with Spanish-speaking families, with Mexican families, or in a sort of small hostel that they've converted a villa into close to the school. I stayed in the hostel for the simple reason that it was closer to the school. I didn't like the thought of walking through the Mexican sun every day on the way up to the school. But um, I found that even though this was the case, and even though one tended to speak more more English outside the classroom, uh, especially in the hostel, you would find a high degree of motivation among the people at the school so that even people whose common language was, say, for instance, English, would at meal times stutter along to each other in Spanish and not feel self-conscious about it. Well, certainly I found this uh, in my class, there were 20 of us. There were
6: 11 nationalities ranging from Tibetan to... Irish, and I was the first Irishman who ever attended this particular Goethe Institute, that uh, you had to, you really had to speak German from the very first day, and the very first lesson in the book helped you. They gave you directions, they told you your right hand from your left hand and uh, so on, that uh, you were led to speak German, even although some of us there were uh, seven or eight Americans in the group that we all did. We all tended to speak German, even bad German, broken German,
5: for a start. And what kind of motivation did these people have? The Americans uh, were mostly uh, people who were um,
6: doing their national service in Europe, and would get a grade. I, I don't understand American education all that well, but they it meant getting a grade if they got a certificate, because the college institute gives certificates. The uh, rest. All of them, I would say, part to myself, were uh, going to study in Germany. They were going to study in university or in the Technische Hochschule in Germany, and they had to have a basic knowledge of German. And after eight weeks in one of these institutes, they were equipped, had they worked, uh, they were
5: equipped to follow any course in any Technische Hochschule or the first year in university. Yeah, I was trying to evaluate for myself after I came back, what standard I had reached in this after only three weeks of a course of about the same level of, of intensity as the one you went through, and working it out, I think it 's fairly safe to say that in terms of grammar and um, syntax and so on, I was up to about a good intersert spanish level perhaps perhaps even honor's intersert, but with a certain uh, advantage in in pronunciation because of already being able to speak French and knowing a little bit of pidgin Italian, did did you find that there were any corresponding advantages in your case or not?
6: In my case I I found that um, being a native speaker of Irish as I am that that was an advantage as far as pronunciation went, that I had no reservations at all about the uh, the old you know rattling the old spit around, uh, which I found that was a great disadvantage to the uh, there were two English Boys in my class, uh, I found this a uh, great advantage. A disadvantage I did find, I must say, was my age. That I was oh, 10, 11 years older than uh, most of my classmates. And they expected me, because of my seniority and uh, incipient baldness and all the rest of it, to be much brighter than they were. And uh, in fact, this was not the case, because they could, the things that uh, they could just pick up and retain, I had to work very hard at. And uh, I was a working journalist at the time, and I had to do a certain amount of my own work. I found this a great disadvantage, and I regret it, I must say, at the time, that I I just didn't get an opportunity to learn a third language. I had English and Irish, but uh, if I had, I think, a third language, it would have been a great advantage to me.
5: In other words, your experience would go to back up the claim that people make, especially a claim, a very topical claim, in Ireland, that the more languages you know, the easier it is to learn languages. Almost certainly. Again, I, think that I wonder, I don't. I ask you the question because I don't know whether it's true of myself or not, to what extent people like us who do this kind of course lose the language afterwards? Because I mean, people say about Spanish, for instance, that it's one of the easiest languages in the world to learn and one of the easiest to forget. Well, uh, in my own case, I had
6: a, a very practical example of this. Uh, three months after I returned to Ireland from Germany, I was employed by a German television unit uh, to act as a liaison, kind of um, guide man around Ireland, they were doing a documentary here, but halfway through this, suddenly uh, the director said, um, I want you to perform, I want you to do three minutes for me in German, and I said, can I um, read a script, and he said, no, 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 you have to do this straight to camera, and um, I was terrified, but then I concentrated. And for the next two weeks, uh, before I had to do the job, I just spoke German all the time to them, and uh, I found I could do my three minutes uh, effortlessly. But now, mm-hmm. no, admittedly, I would need, well, let's say a month before I could get my
5: fluency back again. I, I confess I confessed to being a little bit uh, apprehensive at the thought of plunging back into a Spanish-speaking milieu again. One, one uh, completely unexpected thing that happened to me uh, what little Italian I know, and it's really pigeon pidgin Italian, was very useful, especially in terms of vocabulary and so on, in picking up the Spanish. But I tried occasionally, uh, when I was learning the Spanish, to bring back the Italian into my mind and found a complete block. It was almost impossible to get through to it. And this may simply be the question of milieu, you know, of living in one area of language and, and trying to think about another. You can't just... Um, throw a switch in your mind, as it were, and change over one language to the other.
6: Uh, John, how successful
5: do you think these crash courses are? Well, this wasn't a crash course, as I I know there are crash courses. They literally put you into a tank and fill it with Spanish or German or whatever it is until you're soaked so so completely in it that you can't do anything but speak it. Um, I don't know. I think my particular course was successful in that They paid enormous attention to pronunciation. So that whatever Spanish you speak, you will speak it properly. And I think this is a priority that perhaps lots of crash courses don't pay enough attention to. But
6: this, funnily enough, is my
5: own experience.
6: Uh, Pronunciation was everything. Pronunciation, uh, my own teacher, uh, devoted, I'd say, half the class time to pronunciation. And uh, all this thing about... uh, or dialect, or whatever you call it, uh, which, as tended, I find, here, in the case of Irish, to be kind of denigrated of late, is all important that no matter, even if you only speak 25 sentences, that these sentences are perfectly intelligible to any German, in my case, yes, or to any yes.
5: Presumably, any Spaniard in this case. Well, this was this was the reaction I got. You know, when I went, and I thought I was, I I would tend to be very ashamed of the of the Spanish I was producing because it was so halting. But uh, the response was, you know, uh, you, you speak it very slowly, but you speak it well.
0: I suppose the most remarkable experiment in learning and teaching a language on a massive scale has taken place in our time in Israel. Indeed. It's not so much an experiment as a magnificent achievement. Louis Marcus learned his Hebrew in Israel a few years ago, although, of course, he wasn't a complete stranger to the language even before he went.
7: Well, this is so. uh, Insofar as Hebrew is used as the language of prayer in the synagogue, um, a Jew learns the alphabet as a child. The alphabet is a bit of a problem for Westerners because it's read from right to left, and it's a cuneiform rather than the Roman alphabet that we're used to, uh, but really this only takes a week or so, you know, and from there on you're more or less at the stage that anybody is when they're beginning to learn a language. Now, did you settle down to learn modern Hebrew
0: at all before you went to Israel?
7: Yes, I pursued a little bit of this sort of teach yourself thing while I was here, and I had possibly 300 words before I left, which uh, allowed me to opt out of the elementary class. So I saved perhaps three weeks there.
0: Now, uh, it might be worthwhile just t- telling us exactly what you did, what happened I mean, when you went to Israel. I mean, you, uh, you know...
7: You mean at the school itself? Yeah,
0: well, was the school part of a kibbutz or what was it? You know?
7: Oh, no. Uh, the school was called an ulpan. pan. This is actually the Hebrew for a studio... Uh, but the word Ulpan has become associated with the schools in which immigrants learn Hebrew. Now, there are the two kinds. There's the part-time, usually on a kibbutz, where you work for half the day, and for the other half you get your tuition free, and there was the full full time which I was at. I was in a hurry to learn the language fast. Now, you began at, I think, about 8 o'clock in the morning, and you worked in the classroom up to lunch, then you returned after lunch and you walked up to about 4.30, and then you had, from then until you went to bed to do your homework, some evenings there were uh, debates or functions of a nature which would uh, encourage you to uh, to use what you had learned.
0: But were the classes themselves, uh, what sort of method did they use?
7: They used the direct method. There was... In theory there was no language used except Hebrew, in fact of course every now and then the teacher had to explain something and as the pupils came from about oh maybe 30 or 40 different countries this would have been a problem except that most people in Israel speak five or six different languages anyway and uh, the only people who were at a loss of course were the Anglo-Saxons who spoke only one Um, What about Celts? Uh, The Celts were all right, so were the South Africans who had Afrikaans, and in fact it was very amusing uh, that, as regards English-speaking students, those who had a second language, as I had Irish and the South Africans had Afrikaans, had no problems with the learning and the pronunciation of Hebrew. The English and the Americans, the Australians, the English-speaking Canadians and so forth, they really found it very, very difficult to learn, and their uh, accent was appalling.
0: Did you find it difficult yourself, uh, even with the help of having a second language, did you find it difficult, though, to approach a language which is so completely alien? I don't mean to yes. you, uh, but alien in the linguistically alien, I mean, and nothing to do with a and Indo European an language.
7: Frankly, no, because I think with the direct method this hardly arises. Uh, the teacher, you know, in place of saying uh, the way to say I am a boy in Hebrew is, he doesn't approach it in this way so there's no problem with translation, he merely says ani, ani or ani yeled or something and these sounds become to you what that means the same way as a child himself picks up a language so these problems which are, which would loom fairly large for the book learner do not appear, I think, in the direct method. And how long was it before you found it really becoming part of you? I found that after, uh, say, about eight weeks, which was halfway through the course, I was able to fend for myself outside the school. You see, they use the word frequency method also there, in that you learn, first of all, the most frequently used 500 words. This is the sort of
0: thing that we have in Bantus. Exactly. So at,
7: at the end of that, you were able to hold a conversation, even though you only knew these 500. The fellow to whom, uh, to whom you were speaking, a native Israeli, perhaps had 7,000 words, uh, but the fact was he was only using these 500, so you were on equal sort of terms with him. And this, as you say, came after. About it, this came after. You're it, pretty right? well at
0: sea at first, I suppose. Yeah.
7: You are, because of course, the uh, the Israelis speak so fast, and then there are elisions and slurs in habitual speech, which are completely new to you. It
0: has then become a real sort of vernacular in that sense,
7: uh, among people
0: who are brought up in Israel. I mean, it, it you know, it has a, it has adopted all the slurs and elisions, as you say, and all the the sort of the casual touches of of a language which is
7: as if it had been spoken for ages, has yeah, it? Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> uh, this is a question that I've often been asked, and it's so unrealistic uh, as a question to someone who has been through it. It is as though I were to say to you, so in fact, um, English in Irish, you know, is sort of spoken as an ordinary language, is that so? But no, but <laughs> you know, it sounds the same, yes. because Hebrew to the Israelis, uh, uh, first of all, it's important to point out that the Hebrew language revival was effectively over in the early part of this century. Ah, well, of, of course, I this think, is the point, this is you the see, point. see, a lot it's of people not, think yes. it happened in 1948 no, at the point of a gun. It, it yes. was all over then. And the, uh, the average Israeli is totally unaware of the fact that he's speaking a revived language. Uh, there are no organisations for the revival of Hebrew anymore. These are a part of Israeli history for a PhD thesis or something. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, that. people speak fast and slur and use slang and swear and do all the things that one normally does in a language.
0: And in other words, there are people, I mean, uh, who, perhaps second, third generation.
7: Uh, oh yes, and speaking. fourth and fifth, yes, mm-hmm. yes. And you see, even the children of immigrants um, are, is all children in Israel attended a kindergarten before school because so many of the mothers are out at work. There's very little thing of the mother remaining at home with the kids and then they have Hebrew at school. It is the language of the school, and in the army, even if an immigrant arrives in aged about 30, he has to do his army service, and there he's integrated. So that anyone under the age of, I would say, now under the age of 50, uh, simply speaks Hebrew as a normal language, Mm -hmm. as his first language, probably. How did you find newspapers and things? How did you find reading in general? Well, reading is hard, uh, harder in Hebrew than in other languages because we learn Hebrew liturgically with a system of sort of dots which indicate the vowels. Now in real Hebrew these aren't there, so this is a peculiar problem to Hebrew. The other thing about reading is this, that there are newspapers printed with the dots to help the learners, and there's a weekly newspaper for for the students in which the outside, pages use only maybe 300 words the inside perhaps seven or eight and the center page perhaps a thousand to fifteen hundred this is actually a newspaper you don't read about uh, the pen of your aunt in the garden you read about what the israeli prime minister said at the united nations the week before the traffic problems in jerusalem they're setting up a new kibbutz somewhere you know and you don't feel you're really learning a language you feel you're becoming absorbed in the life of a community. Now, did you yourself uh, stay in Israel much longer than the completion of the course? No, I left Israel almost immediately after the completion.
0: But in the latter half part of the course, in the evenings, as you said and so forth, when you were mixing around with people, you found that this, while well, your, your your power was developing, your power to speak the language and so forth? Oh yes,
7: um, well in fact all the time was not spent at the old pan. there were holidays and there were weekends, and I was travelling in and out to Tel Aviv on various was courses about film making and that, and I travelled around the country, and I did find, especially in the second half of the period, when I was around 1500 words, that unless they were speaking about atomic physics, or some specialised subject for which I didn't have the terminology. Apart from that, I was able to keep up any ordinary conversation fairly respectably. Not just talking about the weather? Well, they don't have any weather in Israel, it's (laughs) all the same. (laughs) Were there any specific problems for an adult, somebody who was away from school, away from university? for? couple of years and some years oh i think so i i think this is the same as trying to play a game of football several years after you've ceased to be in training uh, the muscles are pretty st- pretty stiff you know and um, you don't absorb as fast as you used to as a child and you don't retain it as long i think the only solution to this and they seem to be aware of this at the old pant because it was for adults yeah. is is lots of repetition and very hard Work and to say the thing over and over again, and of course to use it immediately. This was the great. Th- this is the great thing about trying to learn a language in the country itself. That you have to use it. You have to use it all around you, and for heaven's sake, keep away from the students who speak the same home language as you. Of course, because this is a disaster. Did you find at all that there were people in the classes, and uh,
0: has it been the experience there at all that there are people who quite literally? find it almost
7: impossible to learn a language. Well, I had believed this before I went to Israel, but having mixed at the Ulpan with people from 40, 50, sometimes even 60 different countries, I'm convinced now that this is uh, perhaps a fallacy, or even worse, a fact of Anglo-Saxon communities, is people who speak English who have this impression. Outside England, you will find, especially people who don't live on islands, that they speak several languages, and the immigrants from the Arab countries, from the East European countries from South America, would speak five or six languages fluently. These would not be educated people, these could be simply manual labourers, and they would, they simply couldn't see what you meant when you said that, you know, where I come from, only educated people speak three or four languages. They couldn't see the point. Did anybody accuse you of speaking Hebrew with a cork accent? Well, they had already had somebody from Cork a few years before and they did say I spoke somewhat similar to him.
0: (laughs) Well, now we've heard a variety of experiences of learning languages in different ways at home and abroad. Uh, And as we've said, a number of common factors come out, the problems of learning in middle age, the necessity for repetition, the question of building a vocabulary, emphasis on pronunciation and so on. And, of course, the way in which one language helps another, two languages help a third, and so forth. And in this, of course, the advantage of knowing Irish, if only for that reason. Uh, What about Irish itself? There's um, a problem here, of course, with many people who have forgotten the Irish they learned at school, uh, or at least in whom it has got rusty, and other people perhaps who never learned much at all but who are trying now to come back to it, perhaps having left school for some years. Here's John Higgins, for instance. He's uh, from uh, Irish Shipping. A number of you there have been tackling this.
8: We have, yes. How uh, did you go about it? Well, uh, through the uh, cooperation of Gail Lynn, who organised courses for adults, uh, we organised a course in our uh, employment, and uh, we got uh, 16% of the whole staff interested in this, And, in fact, they were uh, quite pleased that we were running these courses.
0: How many would you have in a class together?
8: Well, we had 16, in actual fact, (laughs) in in this this class. class, And uh, it happened to be 16% of the total staff. Um, They uh, were very interested in learning Irish because a number of them wanted to learn it in view of the fact that it was their own language. And uh, because of that... Uh, they were very happy to take part in. When well, Were they sceptical at all about the possibilities? Uh, they were, because uh, some of them had already taken part in language courses previously, and these had failed rather dismally. And
0: some of them had unhappy memories perhaps of school with even the best will in the world? Yes.
8: Uh, that, uh, I think, coercion and, and compulsion that is uh, in school, I think, was removed from it because of the fact that it was a voluntary effort. And uh, for that reason, they felt that they'd probably do better. They'd be more relaxed in their approach to it. Well, now, uh, what sort of method was used? Well, uh, it was similar to the Buntus uh on Telefish Aran. And uh, the uh, courses were organised, uh, the lessons were organised at least, on tapes. These were played over uh, a number of times. And then the uh, class was asked to repeat the... Uh, Sentences that were on the uh, tape and then questions were asked by the teacher who came in at that stage and asked a number of questions relevant to the uh, little pieces of uh, conversation that had been taped.
0: Well, now, how did this work
8: out? Where did people respond? Well, at first they were taken a little bit aback because of the suddenness of the questions and the change uh, from uh, sentence to question, etc., But uh, after a while they got into it and uh, I think that they found it very, very satisfactory.
0: Now, has there been any formal grammar teaching?
8: No. This was one of the things I think that appealed to a lot of people, the fact that they wouldn't have the drudgery of learning grammar and having to remember rules of grammar as they had in school. And I think most of them had... Uh, unhappy memories of grammar in the school
0: well is there any the, the, well this of course would imply that there's there, there hasn't been any writing or formal uh, reading or anything is there no? no, no. not yet uh, anyway not no.
8: yet it's uh, just simple conversation
0: mm-hmm. and the, the, the unit has been the, the sentence all along has it I mean they don't sort of say you know that the Irish for uh, a table is board but they give you a sentence with board in it yeah. give
8: you a sentence yes this is the idea
0: and uh, this is the way you've gradually developed uh, conversation. Eh? Yes. D- well, uh, tato d- okay. uh, do you the the going to
8: do it? Yes, wrong. It's wrong. wrong.
0: It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong.
8: It's wrong.
0: wrong. It's 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 wrong.
8: It's will It's lífa uh, si uh, si
0: uh, e, Well That sounds pretty encouraging. Mind you, there's no royal road to language. No magic wand which will make us all polyglot overnight. Not yet, anyway. Maybe they'll come up with something someday. But in the meantime, it does demand some hard work. But it needn't mean drudgery. And I think all our learners would agree that it's worthwhile. Good night.